we're here with episode number 26 of the Readiness Report, and uh, we got a lot going on in the news. I mean, this has been a crazy last week, super crazy last week. Uh, yeah, especially with the election that doesn't seem to be over with yet. <laughs> no, it doesn't seem to be over, and that's one of the stories uh, talking about the election, and we're definitely going to have to have our guest. I'm very excited, by the way, to have our guest on the show. Uh, Rob O'Neill wrote the book, The Operator, uh, and it talks about his time experience as a uh, SEAL Team 6 Navy SEAL on the Red Squadron. He was one of the men chosen to go on the uh, mission to go f actually kill Osama bin Laden. A lot of guys went looking for Osama bin Laden, but he actually was on the mission to go kill him, and he was the actual man to pull the trigger. Yeah. So uh, I believe he was the second man through the door, and the first guy was blocking. He went right in, saw Osama, and I believe he blew away, but we're going to hear it from him. From him, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah from the, <laughs> a lot better from the horse's mouth. Yes, exactly. My, my goal for, for the, the actual interview with Rob isn't just to hear about that. It's to ask questions that he hasn't commonly been asked. He's, he's doing uh, speaking all the time now. He's a very popular motivational speaker, goes and speaks to companies um, and talks about leadership. And almost all of them, he goes over the story of killing bin Laden. So it's like one of those things where it's like when, like when we had Dakota Meyer on, we didn't really ask him much about yeah. the Bill Honor. Well, because that's the thing is that's the story that's kind of table stakes. I'm sure he's tired of talking about that. I'm sure he is. We'll have him talk about it a little bit, but I, the, I want to like cover who the guy is, what is he doing now, and all the things that go around uh, being Rob O'Neill. He lives a very exciting, interesting life. He's going around jetting from place to place, usually on a private jet, getting to speak to these big groups of people, making a lot of money doing it. So it's, it's definitely an interesting life. I got, I got to meet him in, in person recently at a, at a charity event, the Bonefrog Open. So it was a cool, uh, cool opportunity to talk to him. Yeah, like I say, to get from him like some of the perspective on how did his life change? Because before, you know, you're a Navy SEAL, you're not really known, and then all of a sudden you're, you know, probably the most well-known SEAL that there is, and then all the shit that came with it yeah. after the book, so. And we can actually talk about this a good thing is when Obama actually announced that SEAL Team 6 killed bin Laden, it sent shockwaves through the Navy SEAL uh, Naval Special Warfare community. Like, these guys never were, were not acknowledged in that fashion. The president had never gotten up and said, SEAL Team 6 killed anybody, and it wasn't mentioned. It's interesting they did that, that they kind of put them out there like that. And a lot of them didn't like that. A I, of, I don't think guys, I would have. No, a lot of guys did not like that because they had been they had done all kinds of things and it wasn't discussed. It wasn't something that was publicly announced. And uh, a lot of those guys were warriors that wanted to stay in the shadows. And kind of Obama pushed them out and said, like, here are the guys. Yeah, so, you think they would have just said U.S. Special Forces and yeah. left it at that. It, like they always do. Yeah. yeah. That's a good question. We'll, we'll have to ask him. I'll make a note about that. Like, what does he feel about? How did he feel about Obama actually kind of outing them? And then obviously he went on to embrace that and, and do the book. Um, so before we get into all that, we got plenty of time to spend, but first we're gonna go to the news. And the first topic is Pfizer. So talking about the coronavirus, we kind of had a feeling, I thought the timing of this uh, story or this release was very uh, suspect, I guess. A little bit, let's call it suspect. Yeah, so look, he even looks, he's like, mm, he's a little suspicious mm, looking. Yeah, huh. He's related Pfizer to Ryan. Early data shows that the vaccine is more than 90% effective, the Pfizer vaccine. So here we have uh, the election, contested election. It looks like they, they're announcing Joe Biden as winner the next day. 90% vaccine, 90% effective vaccine is released. Coincidence? I don't know. Yeah, it looks but, like Sleepy Joe is the one that pushed this forward. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that, you know, the, the stock market went up like crazy after that announcement. It, and it, Pfizer's it, stock went up, what, like 1.2%? So yeah, the, the, um, yeah, I mean, the, things went up, the whole market went up, because people got started saying, well, obviously the coronavirus is not going to be solved. Now we can travel again. You know, plane stocks went up 10 15%, 20% even. Cruise ships went up. Oil stocks even went up. You know, Boeing stock, all the stock, the market in general went up significantly because this is basically saying like 
this is going to be solved. You know, you have a new president, uh, and that uh, who knows, right? What's well, going to happen? Yeah, people are hedging their bet now. Yep. And then uh, with this, it was what um, they're just finishing up their two months of safety data, so right. they're finishing their their trials for that. But they're getting an emergency FDA clearance if all the safety data comes back. Right. So. Interesting. And the next story actually also has to do with Pfizer, because the Pfizer CEO cashed out 60% of his stock the same day that the company unveiled the results of his COVID-19 trial. And uh, that's Albert Bura. Albert Bura. So it's 60, 62% of his stock the same day the company announced. So this is 132,508 shares sold at an average price of 41.94 for a total of $5.6 million. Now, I will say uh, uh, CEOs selling their stock is not uncommon because they're given stock as uh, part of their compensation package. It is unusual for a, a CEO to sell so much of their stock because that would lead me to believe if I'm an investor, which I'm not an advisor, to think that maybe we don't know the whole story. Like why cash out now? Yeah, because I was reading on that because you know, you'd think that would trigger some kind of insider trading investigation, but there's some form of things like 10-5-B-1 or something like that that allows CEOs to essentially engage in insider trading as long as that they, this is the interesting part about it, that they more or less say that by this date, I'm going to sell X percentage. Conveniently, it was the day after. Mm -hmm. So so that was set in place, I guess, back in August, August 19th or something that he said he was going to sell that amount of shares. But mm -hmm. he had to have known when the announcement was coming. So that, that's the odd part about it, that it is insider trading, I guess, kind of, that's what I would say yeah. it was. But it's allowed due to some loophole that they've created. Well, one thing for sure is if you're an investor, you would look at that and be like, well, I don't know. It doesn't seem like he has any confidence in his own stock. Um, like Zuckerberg sells stock uh, really like almost every every quarter, but he's selling such a tiny amount. So he may sell like 2% two, 2 of 2%, you know, or like a tiny percent. So to sell 62, most of your shares of the company right before, because if it's me, like for example, me and you, we're coming out right now with the protein RTD, MRE RTD, and it's going to be a big fucking deal, huge deal. So if I were to sell, if I were going to sell stock price, I would want, you know, I would think to myself, well, what we are today is not what we're going to be when this product release. So I should at least wait to see where it goes. So for them, they have this vaccine. The first one's 80%, uh, 90% effectiveness rate. How are they going to do three, four, five months from now when that 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 is actually rolling? You know, what's the urgency to sell? I know if I were it was me, I'd be like, fuck it. I'm not going to sell 62%. Is there any benefit, though, to overall stock by him selling where it liberates that stock, gets it into the market at a higher amount? I mean, is there? No. Yeah. No, I mean, there's supply and demand. I mean, he sells shares. There are a finite amount of shares. So um, that uh, this, actually, the stock price could go down slightly unless there's people buying the, right. the stock. So it'd be like, imagine uh, if the demand is lower, the price will go lower uh, until there's more demand, more people buying, and now the stock will go up. In price, but I, as far as I know, there's no there's no benefit other than to him that he gets to pocket five point six million bucks. But honestly, if you're a CEO of Pfizer, that's probably not a lot of money. Yeah, it's a weird move, man. It's yeah. it is a weird move because I'm sure uh, I don't know, John or uh, Ryan. Can you check to see what's the salary of the of because that's public Pfizer CEO salary? I bet you it's oh, over five point six million. Uh, it'll be more than five point yeah. six million. I would think. I'm sure his yearly bonus is more than that. Yeah, turns out maybe he just didn't have that many shares of his own company. Unless he, well, you said he. He hedged his bet early and thought, hey, maybe we weren't going to get this trial. Work. Yeah. yeah, and I was like, oh, yeah. let's get rid of some of this. Maybe there's going to be some lawsuits because it's going to cause some side effects, and I don't want nothing to do with it, <laughs> you know, hypothetically. <laughs> what do you got, Ryan? How much? The, uh, the boss of him, the 
above Pfizer, so it says Pfizer's new boss that's 17.9 million per year. So yeah. So you can assume it's that's him, right? The new boss. It's gotta be that guy. Who Borla? So Burlow's 17.9 million. Yeah, so okay. yeah 17.9 million is pretty good. So, and for him, it's not that much. See, for I me, pay I'm, taxes on that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I wonder if, I wonder if there's a, if he did it uh, for some other reasons. Maybe there was something else going on. But anyway, it, it is a weird look. Uh, number three on our, on our list of stories is Walmart teams up with electric car, self-driving car maker Cruise and the retail giant's latest push for futuristic delivery technology. We have, we share a car, a Tesla. Yep. You really have one driving it, but we share yeah. it. We share it. And uh, I have to say that- My point two miles to work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're putting all the miles in the car. <laughs> um, so uh, the, uh, the the car, the Tesla anyway, is a fantastic car. I mean, you got to admit, I know Darielle had hers, her Model X, and she was having electronic issues and stuff. It's always a little quirks here. Yeah, they're a little quirks, but all in all, I mean, it's a pretty damn cool car. And uh, it sure feels like it's going to last a long time in terms of like, you know, it doesn't have like a lot of moving parts so the right the, the actual car itself is simpler and, and yeah because you just have two electric motors the battery um you know still all the same suspension and brakes it's like driving an iphone yeah it's driving so iPhone. Like, that's pretty much what it's like i mean hell i use my phone i don't even have a key for the car i just use my phone exactly and now and now the, the interesting thing is there's a lot of these little brands coming out uh nicola which is yep. yeah, tesla riven there's a whole bunch of them that are coming out that are like almost like startups that are developing. And uh, I think, honestly, I think the future is extremely bright for all these companies. Give it 10 years, and there may, they might be a majority of the cars on the road as, as electric in, in America, I mean, anyway. Yeah, I think you know, you'll know probably see that push. I mean, just there's a lot of other reasons. And well, like the Hummer. The Hummer yeah, the Hummer. Yeah, the Hummer EV. A thousand, a thousand horsepower Hummer. Yeah, well, electric motors. I mean, hell, yeah. look, look at the new Plaid Tesla that's coming out. Yeah. It's like nine-second quarter mile ridiculous yeah but this is really not about electric cars i mean it is and it isn't because they're talking about futuristic delivery methods the idea is you want something from walmart or amazon's doing the same thing obviously you want something they can literally put it in the in the car so you'd put it in your cart and it sends it onto your house instead of having an amazon driver you have the amazon car amazon robot maybe walks out and hands you your package gets back in jumps back in the car and there it goes the next one looks delivery. like the little uh, remote bomb tanks yeah well, exactly <laughs> So, I mean, obviously, you, people have heard a lot about that type of delivery from drone delivery method to... I think Walmart tried car. drones, didn't they, at one point? Yeah, well, I know, I know Amazon is in the process of doing drones still. I mean, they're really looking, working on that. I think there's even some places now that are, that are actively doing it, like, for real, where if your package, if you're uh, with, like, 10-mile radius of one of these drone places, they'll bring it to you, like, in two hours. Jeez. So there's, like, so there's the, the, what everybody has always expected from Tesla, I mean, from Tesla, from uh, Amazon, which is uh, next-day delivery, right? And now, almost everywhere in Boca, anyway, they do same day same delivery. Day. I, get, I day. order stuff that says two day delivery, and it's at my house later that day, just because it's at that DC that's close enough to me. Yeah, now that we've gotten a few new DCs here, like it's you have a lot of things on a Sunday morning. You can order something Sunday night; it's there. And the, but for the big cities, they're working on two hour delivery, so it's a guarantee. And they use a drone for something like that. They even have they're talking about doing 30, 30, 30 minute deliveries depending on where you are, because obviously the drone only needs look. You got a person. Or even a machine loads in this total war into the drone and the drone takes off and how long is it going to take to get you know um a mile or two not long yeah general general motors owns cruise now right yes yep. yeah they bought it so it'd be interesting to see because you know obviously the with the surface roads the um self-driving part of the tesla is just finally out of beta right yeah did we uh, did you install the new heart up uh, firmware i think i did i gotta remember so now that it should have been either it should be november i believe 
uh, we're not, I'm not 100% sure. I think November at some point is the new firmware so that you can do self-driving everywhere. Yeah, so. You checking out, Ryan? Because there was a big update coming. Because uh, when we got the car, we've got every option. And one of the things I was excited about was the full self-drive mode. But the, the, the downside is that the side roads it won't do. It's only major right. roads. So yeah, once you're on the highway, um, you can go and you can tell it where to get off and you know how to get everywhere. But at some point when it's smaller roads, it stops and says, you got to drive. The thing I don't like about the self-driving thing, the thing I don't like the most, I can, I'm, I was more comfortable with it than I thought I'd be, like just sitting back and whatever. I don't like that you, uh, that uh, it only goes to speed limit. Yeah, you can't override it. No, I mean, it, I'm not like I want it to go super fast, but like if it says 35 and everybody is going 60, like down Clintmore, I mean, it's yeah, like now you have to drive the car. You're going 35 miles an hour. It's no, nobody drives. Just like all the old people around here. Yeah, they'll all be beeping at you and zooming around you. Even the old people. I mean, for real, like on Clintmore, people, how fast are you going? Oh, dude, Clintmore, you can do 70 on it. I mean, most people are doing 50 to 60, really minimum. Oh, yeah. But if the limit at speed limit is actually 35, like people would honk at you and stuff. Oh, hell yeah, because you're blocking that whole main road home for everybody. No, no. But um, next on our list, one story that I've been talking about a lot that I'm excited about um, is uh, pa Palantir. It's a uh, tech yeah. stock, right? It's the one I've been telling you to buy. <laughs> I, told, uh, I told a bunch of people. Some to recent buy. changes in my personal finances. Yes, I understand. <laughs> I understand. Uh, but I, uh, I told Taylor uh, when, when I bought it, I told him that, uh, that I bought it. I told a few people, and I bought it for $9.40 or so. And uh, we had a drawback today of up to 19.05, but it was all the way to 16 uh, this morning, 16.32 uh, after hours last night. And um, I still think this is in infancy, infancy. It had an IPO that really was poorly received, uh, didn't do nearly what they thought it was gonna do. What Palantir actually is, is a data mining ser service that, da that mines data off the internet and uh, off of various sources, even, uh, you know, for specifically for, or initially, initially specifically for military purposes and intelligence purposes for the CIA, NSA, other uh, uh, intelligence gathering yeah. agencies, military, and, um, and it would use all the various inputs and then make predictive guesses about all kinds of things, whether now they're doing it as uh, for companies like ours, where they can make predict where your customers are gonna be, what they would like. But for them, you know, if you wanna find out where Osama bin Laden is hiding, Palantir is the one who'll tell you how, how to find How it. long has that and technology been there? They started in 2002 or 2003. It was a result of 9-11. Uh, of, 9-11, uh, yeah. Where they, they started feeling like, well, our technology or the people, these smart people can get it, get involved. And they got money from Peter Thiel, who's a famous, famous, famous investor. And, um, and it's been in the private sector for the whole 17 years of existence, doing uh, about $800, $900 million of mostly government contracts until this year where they decided to go public and that their partners like the CIA, NSA, et cetera, decided to allow them to be able to go public and talk about, because obviously it's weird to try to get investors when you can't tell people what you're doing. Right. And you can't show them any of the numbers. So they found a way around while they still kept their top secret clearance and being used by you know, government agencies, the military, but still allowed these awesome um, possibilities for companies like ours, our, our companies in general. So anything like predictive technology, uh, targeting of customers, um, they're able to do. And there's two platforms they use now, two different interfaces they built. And uh, one of them for military purposes. Another, I'll give you an example. So say um, say uh, some of the guys are on Red Squad, where Rob's at, with Rob with, um, they're hit a building and there's what they call squirters, like guys who are running out, right? In, in the process of the guys running out, satellite imagery gets a picture of their face. 
that system will then be able to tell based on the face, what's the name of the person, right. and then find out what's the probability of where he's gonna go. So it'll use social media, cameras, other satellite imagery, you know, if, they, if they've had a drone circling for a while, it will take all of this data that's available and give you pro probabilities of where he's gonna go next. There'll be like 84% chance he's going to his sister's house over there. Right, almost like it's minority, minority report. report. Exactly. <laughs> minority report. Yeah. I mean, seriously, that's, where's, that's, talking, where's yep. Tom Cruise in this? Like, he's there's a good chance he's going to about to kill that girl in 45 minutes. So, going to go arrest him. Now. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, literally, uh, the, the technology is unbelievable and incredibly advanced and used by our tier one operators right now in the field and have been for a while. The cool thing, the thing that makes it so unique, is that this technology has no competition. So there's no, there's not like, oh, well, there's Palantir, there's this one, this one, this one, you know, like Amazon or Walmart's right on their trail. There's nobody like that. How long till Google and uh, Facebook try to get this technology? It'll be interesting. Because then they could, they can sell it in their own way. And I don't know. I think the government would have. Oh, yeah, I'm sure the, the federal government's got this shit locked up. Yeah, they're not going to want them going yeah. to, together with those guys. But yeah, I mean, they, they do use that technology. They, they scour the pages of Facebook and all the public information. So they're using it. Uh, are they partners or working together? Who knows? It yeah, I'm just saying it's, just, it's powerful enough, especially because from a marketing perspective that... Well, that's what I thought right away. I told yeah. Ryan, reach out to them for us because uh, if they can figure out who our customers are, you know, the names of them, the yeah. addresses, or everything... What are they going to buy next? Where are they going to buy yeah. from? Yeah, if they can give you... Because they can give you, hypothetically, not just a list. So, like, when we get from Facebook, we'll get, um, you know, lookalike customers that maybe a, a two million person set of lookalike customers... But we don't actually know their names or their genders yeah, or who it's just they are. A, it's just this, you know, group, and the, it's an anonymous group. That Facebook is saying is similar. You don't, you can't say, well, Facebook, why is this guy, this one of the two million, similar? What did he do last? Well, with with Palantir, the technically, kid. you could say, well, the reason we're choosing him is because he's a 33 year old man who was at LA Fitness four times last week, likes BSN, and uh, has a, a girlfriend that was wearing your shirt in a video past, right? No. Also, one more yeah, unfortunately, they got some trouble trouble with that. It was one of the not so success stories because they had some of the employees, the top level employees using the system to spy on employees. <laughs> So they weren't just allowing the, the AI. To, well, you know, yeah, so that's like, what happens with technology. So that's, uh, they could, in other words, you know, the, the AI was supposed to tell them if there's a problem, oh, Eric Hart's looking at porn again, right? It'll alert you. <laughs> but you're not supposed to be able to actually go in and watch everything you're doing, read all your emails. It's just so, an alert to it. Yeah, yeah, it was meant to, but their JP Morgan, people were abusing the technology to, to basically spy on employees. Nice. So, um, so McDonald's drink, drink size TikTok video sparks online outrage. Play, Johnny, play this thing. Let me see it. Okay, show me. He's trying to TikTok, man. I deleted my, my TikTok. Delete that shit off. I still have it just to hold my name, but I don't ever go no, I have my name, yeah. Let's see it, Johnny. Johnny, come on. Okay. Oh, Ryan. Is asking him to log in to show it. All right. In the so meantime, essentially, long and short, is the employee with no ice filled up a small cup full of soda, mm -hmm. then dumped it into a medium cup, and then took the medium cup and dumped it into a large, and there's no difference in the volume that the cup held. 
Really? Yeah, which is one of the reasons why uh, when McDonald's sells the nine, you know, a dollar for any size drink, because you're actually only getting one size anyways. So what they do is the small. The bases are different. Base, yeah. And then it gets more narrow and taller. Really? So the cylindrical volume is yeah, pretty much it. the same. Yeah. But they call it small, medium, and large. Mm -hmm. and they're all exactly the same. And now it where took are they just now for somebody to figure this out? Now it'd be interesting is if on there because most menus now you have to put calories. So small, medium, large, based on volume, should have different calories. It sounds like a class action lawsuit. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Someone yeah. someone's gonna jump on this. Alert Jane it? Anthony. Mm -hmm. All right, you guys got it? I got it. All right, let's Ooh. see it. Here we go. Yeah, Shaolin Law Group. Uh huh. Small. He's pouring into the medium. Same. Okay. And now a large. That's really gonna fit in there. Because the bottom is so narrow. Yeah, I see how. It... Now the only thing I will say that you don't see from this huh. video is, was there any volume in the cup to begin with? So I'm guessing there's not, because I mean. I'm sure some packaging engineer at some point figured out like just make it a little bit smaller here and yeah. you know because it's down to pennies. Yeah, very interesting. I, I would never have known those sneaky bastards at McDonald's. Um, it's not gonna stop you from going there one day. No, I can't wait to. I love McDonald's. <laughs> All right, so uh, quick update on election. You know, actually, you know what? Let's, let's bring Rob in. Uh, we'll do him. a commercial break. When we come back for a commercial break. We'll have Rob O'Neill uh, on the show, and we can start off before we get into anything about Rob. We'll get his take on the election because there is certainly a lot to say, and uh, we don't want to waste too much time because we can talk all day about that. But I'd like to hear his take. So we'll go to commercial break, and we'll be right back with Rob O'Neill. the show i'm very proud and happy to have on the show a great american patriot uh seal team six former seal team six operator uh the man who killed bin laden and one hell of a good guy robert o'neill welcome to the show buddy what's up gentlemen how you doing 
Not much, man. Not much. I wanted to say a pleasure meeting you in person at the Bone Frog Open. We went at McBee's event. It was a great success. Uh, I don't know how well you golfed. Uh, I didn't do so hot, but it was still fun. Yeah, I didn't hit it very well, but it's always fun to get uh, event golf events, especially something that McBee is hosting. He's a great, great host. Does he does all the little things right? And he's one of those guys, uh, Darren McBurnett, that uh, when he picks something up for eight, 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 takes him eight months to get really good at it. That's what he does. But great time, great meeting you finally, and uh, what a great event. Yeah, man, for sure. So let's before we get into you, uh, let's talk about the, this election, man. It has been a, a total shit show. And uh, I got to say that, um, you know, I was really obviously hoping for a different result. Uh, and now we're in the middle of something really unusual. What, what do you think about this? What were you uh, – I mean, what was your experience watching all this go down? Well, I've been saying something like this is going to happen for about a year now because the Democrats have put them in a, into a place where they could um, use alternate ways to vote because they they've, they they use the the uh, the excuse of voter suppression to make sure nobody needs an ID to vote, and that's just their way to get illegals and dead people to vote. And then just with the COVID thing, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. And, you know, I wish everybody did the right thing, but that was an excuse to keep everyone at home, to use COVID as an excuse to mail in ballots. And we got dead people voting. We've got people voting a bunch of times. We've got uh, ballot harvesting. And what I say is not going to affect anything, and I'm not going to get too upset about it. But if you can't see what's happening here, I would say that pretty much everybody knows what's happening, but half of us will not admit it because everything about everything now seems to be about party politics. And that's kind of stuff that Thomas Jefferson warned us about. And. You know, I get asked, will I support President Biden? Of course, because I'm an American. I supported President Trump and I supported President Obama because I'm an American. I worked for President Bush. I supported him and Clinton as well because I'm an American. But I just wish everybody had that same view that that it's all of, it's all about the country, not about the party and not about individual power, which a lot of people in um, Washington, that's what they're doing. It's it's not the person who's in the White House for four years that's, that's ruining the country. It's the person who's in the Capitol for 50 years. There's the issue. Term limits need to happen. Yeah. Uh, Rob, I read something today, a statistic, 68% of the people polled, whether they're left-leaning or right-leaning, 68% of the people don't trust the election, don't trust the process, think there could be something wrong, that there's voter fraud one way or another. Even if they're happy with the results, still 68% of people yeah, polled, yeah. they don't trust it. That's a pretty scary thing for, for it, America. It, it's a scary thing, too, and it's a scary pe uh, uh, thing that a lot of people believe the nonsense. Like, I need an ID to go down to FedEx and set a package but I can go and not even sign and vote. I don't need an ID because that's voter suppression. It's nonsense. Uh, it, a simple solution to this is, you know, show up in person, give them your ID, sign it. No one gets to see it. And you put it in the box, you know, make your uh, uh, vote, sign it and put it in the box. And then if you can't, you don't need to do, you don't need to be sending out uh, uh, ballots like their, their fast food or Chinese buffet um, menus at every apartment building. It's you, you fill out the form, sign it, prove who you are, you get an absentee ballot. Do that in plenty of time. But we, we've been, I mean, Instagram's been telling us since January how to vote, how to vote. Don't say, oh, I didn't know how to do it. And I can, as long as it's postmarked November 3rd, it's nonsense. And and these are politicians using that to keep themselves in power. And it's, it's too bad. Yeah, it, it definitely, it definitely is too bad. And, and, you know, when you don't believe, when people don't believe that the elections are, are real or that the numbers are real, it erodes confidence in, in the whole system in general. And uh, that's certainly something we don't want to have, because like you said, I have certainly felt the same as you. I respected every president. And I, I was shocked and appalled at the lack of respect that we saw over this last four years for, for Donald Trump. Uh, it's unbelievable, shocking to see the reporters scream at him and people being disrespectful. And 
Yeah, not I would not like, like even reporters in the press pool just sitting down with their legs crossed. When you address the president, you stand up. You, yeah. you, you address him as Mr. President at least at first, and then you talk to him like you, you like he's in the office of the presidency. You respect that office, and and uh, the, you know they were they, they were doing resist, resist, then in Russia, Russia, then impeach, impeach for four years, and now they get Biden. It's out now we can heal. Yeah, it's like all right, because you finally got your way. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy. It it's is. crazy. So, uh, like I said, we could talk about this all day. Oh yeah, um, but uh, I wanted to get into you, and my my goal is to Rob, Rob is to ask you some questions. That are different than you're, you've been asked, and you know you've had the great fortune of uh, of being an awesome speaker and being giving having a chance to go speak in front of big groups of people and talk about your story. And obviously, there's when you do any interviews or when you speak in front of a group of people, you often have to repeat yourself a lot. And I'm going to have you do it a little bit, but I'm going to do my best to ask different questions than you might have been asked a million times already. Well, that makes me happy. Thanks for take, taking the time best. to do that. I'll do my I'll do my very best. So I'm going to start off with one that you've been asked a million times. I have to start with with that. But uh, so, what made you uh, want to be a SEAL? And the funny thing is, like, it seems like most guys, team guys that, that we've talked on the show, and that I know personally, uh, knew very young that this is something that they wanted to do. What, what point did you know that? I knew it pretty much the day I joined, because I was at a time in life where it was time it was time to leave. And I think every every person at around 18 or 19, no matter if they're from Fredericksburg, Virginia or Butte, Montana, where I'm from, it's time to leave. Everything was going wrong. So the easiest way to leave Butte, Montana is to join the Marine Corps. So I went to join the Marine Corps and he wasn't there. The Marine recruiter was not in the office. Uh, and I have known since then that sometimes it's better to be lucky than it is to be good. Because as luck would have it, the Navy guy, the recruiter was in there. And I only went at, in to ask him where the Marine was because I had Marine friends tell me a joke that the Marine Corps is actually part of the Department of the Navy. It's just the men's department, which is true. So I went in there. If anyone's going to know where the Marine is, he will. And he said, why do you want to be a Marine? I said, I want to be a sniper. And Marines have the best snipers in the world. He said, look no further. We have snipers in the Navy. You need to become a SEAL first. Knock that out and you'll be fine. I didn't know what a SEAL was, but I, I was 19. But, but I figured this guy's a, a recruiter. Why is he going to lie to me? <laughs> so I signed up and uh, I kind of went after it from there. So, uh, so that means you didn't see like the Charlie Sheen movie. You didn't no, really I did. No, I did. I did see the Sheen movie. And that to, I, I know Charlie well. I talked to him yesterday. And uh, he's always humble um, when he finds out that real Navy SEALs became SEALs because of that movie, which is true. But I saw it when it came out in the what late 80s, early 90s. And it didn't really I didn't really know what it was. Uh, they, they didn't show training in that particular movie. I just knew they were cool. And I'm like, well, I guess I'll do that. Even though I didn't know how to swim, I'll, I'll go ahead and try that. <laughs> so did you, how, how, for, for Buds, did you do a lot of training uh, in advance? Did you know I, you a lot of training? I, I did, but not as much as a lot of guys had. I had five months from the time I joined to the time I uh, shipped out for boot camp. And I had a guy from my high school that actually went on to swim at Notre Dame, teach me the breaststroke and the side stroke. So I had five months of swimming and I felt comfortable. But when I got to SEAL training, there were dudes that, you know, played college water polo. They really knew how to swim. Um, and the first time I went down to a, a park in Butte, Montana that had a jungle gym to try to do pull-ups, I couldn't do two. So I, I, yeah, it was, I mean, I didn't know, you know, skinny fat guy with long arms. Those are hard. And uh, fortunately I did learn then uh, something about keeping it simple. The only way to get better at pull-ups is to do more pull-ups. Yep. So I just started knocking them out. And I did get to a point, uh, um, not, not, at Buds, but afterward, as you guys know, along with weighted pull-ups, my goal was to do 
uh, 40 dead hang pull-ups, which, which was cool. But I, I got there over the course, you know, years of training. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, the going to buds now, you know, the, it's interesting because you hear a lot of questions or I see a lot of questions from kids who are wanting to go and wanted to be a seal. And the truth is that it doesn't seem like there are people that are going to make it through or not going to make it through. And the amount of training, like you said, you did five months of training. Some of these kids will do five years of training and still not make it through. Right. Because you always hear that the seal training is mental and that's true, but the, it's the mental part of being physical. Like you can make your body do a lot more through your mind than you realize it. And if your mind goes, you guys know this, if your mind goes, you're done. I've never heard anyone say, well, I wasn't going to make it, but my body pulled me through. It's your mind getting you through it. Um, I, I, I speak a lot now. Uh, a lot of people I speak to are like high school kids. And a common answer or a question is, what should I do to get ready for SEAL training? And I'll answer, I'll answer their question with a question. I'll say, what are you doing to get ready? And a common answer is, I'm taking cold showers to get used to it. And I said, that's a bad idea. Because let me explain it to you this way. If I told you in 30 days, I'm going to kick you in the nuts as hard as I can. And in order to get ready for it, you had your best friend kick you in the nuts every single day. It's still going to suck when I do it. Sometimes you don't get used to it. Embrace the suck when it comes. Take warm showers whenever you can. Yeah. yeah. What was it like growing up in Montana? Do you think that helped you? I mean, Montana, I, yeah. way, I love I love Montana. It's, man, talk about beautiful. Big sky, right? I mean, it's you know, it, it, the sky's just big up there. Yeah, it definitely helped me. Because I didn't realize this at the time either. I grew up at about 6,000 feet. And just over the course of 18 years being acclimated to that thin air, that helped me with the, the, uh, the soft sand runs in Coronado. A lot of guys have trouble with the sand runs because they're just hard. And it's a technique to running in soft sand and, and just not getting enough air. But be, just because I was acclimated to not having air, I was able to run well. It didn't help me with my swimming because my technique sucked. But the running and the physical stuff, I was able to breathe uh, big gulps of air. So that, that definitely helped. And then knowing how to navigate my way through mountains in the dark hunting, because you have to beat the elk up the mountain and wait for them as opposed to chasing them. So you got to climb in the dark, just been getting used to awkward to terrain, carrying guns, knowing where to wear your gear, how to hydrate, how to um, wear certain gear when you're walking. Uh, so you don't overheat them. And as soon as you sit down, put the warm stuff on so you don't freeze. So that definitely helped. Once you're in there, Rob, and you're uh, you're you're through buds, you do SQT, and you're 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 on a team. Did you have like a career path in mind? Did you know like what you wanted? No, to do? no. I, again, uh, I always tell people the only time the perfect plan exists is in the planning room. Once you leave to do something, everything will change. So life happens around you as you're planning. You, you, I mean, you might have a a, a, a way you're going to go, but it's rarely a direct path. Mine was join the Navy to, to uh, well to be a SEAL on accident. And then if I don't make it, I'll go to the fleet, be on a ship for four years, come back to Butte, Montana, sit at Maloney's bar and tell sea stories. But then I made it. And then it's sort of like, wow, I got to figure out how to be a Navy SEAL. So I'll just stay four years there. But then I met the guys. I met the, the team guys and the deployed, saw Europe, some parts of Africa. And four years, you know, life flies by. I'll just reenlist. So I'll do one more deployment. I'm young, hang up the guys. And then 9-11 happens. Boom. I gotta, I, I gotta stick around. I can't leave. I gotta fight. I found out about SEAL Team Six. I gotta see what they're all about, and I went there. It was, it was just sort of a one after another, um, sticking around. Uh, I always tell people wherever you are, be there. Yeah, you were, uh, you, you know, that you. I guess if you hadn't, if nine eleven hadn't happened, would you imagine that you would have done that second? Uh, that no, second I, I was, I was already planning my my out. 
I was, I'd, I'd done enough, a couple uh, deployments. I was officially a Navy SEAL. We're never going to war. I don't necessarily want to do this forever. Maybe I'll finish my degree and then go work with my dad, make some money, um, settle down, get married, start a family at 27 years old, 28 years old. Yeah, I mean, that's a, the position a lot of guys are in now because a lot of guys on in the teams now are, uh, we have one that's coming to work for us next week um, who was in the position they did, he did 10 years or 11 years, uh, 10, some 10 years or so. And uh, and he never, the, the chances of him seeing action and getting in combat, he kind of missed the window of, of seeing combat. And then what's, like you said, what's the, the point? Do you just keep waiting forever? No, I don't think you do. And again, it's just, it's a matter of being in the right place at the right time. I was part of that generation of uh, some of the guys my age, I'm sure you know a bunch of them. I'm not going to name them because they didn't tell me to, but we just hit that window that uh, 2004 to 2011, where we were in some of the, the hairiest combats in Vietnam. And it's not because we were better than the guys in the nineties. I mean, the guys in the eighties and nineties invented our tactics. They came up with this stuff. We just got to use it and adapt to it, but you never know. I mean, um, you know, one day you're uh, you're hanging out on, on Monday, September 10th, wondering what you're going to do, where you're going to go skiing in the winter. And then September 11th happens. We're going to war now for a long time. And it's just it, you never know when it's coming. Um, you're not going to get picked if you're not there. But are you going to stick around forever? Are you going to make your mark? It's, it's really, really hard to tell, especially in this line of work. So uh, I have to ask, obviously, about 9-11. So where were you in the in the pipeline what were you doing uh during that time when and then when when where, where were you actually physically at when you when it happened i was at naval Spe naval special warfare unit 2 in stuttgart germany and we had we had just uh finished a um a not a deployment but a trip to kosovo because we were doing a peacekeepers mission uh so we would send our i was a sniper there at seal team 2 and what we would do is go out and set up hide sites and observe for a few days, different spots, making sure people weren't committing genocide. And at the time that seemed like that was the biggest game. Like you're a war hero if you do that nonsense, but it was basically just, we were, it was just really good training in a real world environment. And so we came back from Kosovo, we cleaned our gear and then we were catching up on emails in the, in the operations center on the second floor. And uh, the, a couple different TV screens happened to be on. And obviously they went to breaking news that the, one of the towers in lower Manhattan had been hit by a small plane and from kind of looking at it and everyone's like, wow, this is, that's a big building. We've all been there. That's a big hole. I don't know. It's a clear day. And then a second plane hits and someone in the operations center said Osama bin Laden within 15 seconds. Wow. wow. And then the whole thing changed. We don't know where we're going to go. We're already overseas forward deployed. Are we going to go to Sudan? to fight Al Qaeda right now. I mean, our gear's clean. We just cleaned it. The gun works. Uh, no, nobody knew what we were going to do. So it was, uh, it, again, we're starting from square one now. You guys, I'm imagining um, some people at home watching don't think this is weird, but I know you, you must have been pumped up, right? Yeah, we knew the world changed. Uh, it didn't, we weren't sure how to feel about it because we didn't know who we were going to be fighting. It had always been the Vietnam War or the guys who uh, went to Patia Airfield in, in, in Panama. Um, who are we going to fight? Are we supposed to do hydrographic reconnaissance as, as we swim in from a ship? Um, but then it's like you start getting the intelligence together. You start seeing these fighters in the mountains, the, the Mujahideen who were fighting the Russians. And we're like, we're it's about to get serious. But being naive, it's almost like, well, I hope we get back over there quickly because it's going to be over real soon. Yeah. Yeah. Did you um, how long did it take for you to actually get a combat deployment out there? Well, I, we finished that one in, in 2001, uh, and then we got back. And unfortunately, the way the pipeline works um, at the teams, you need to work up for at least a year with your new platoon. 
So it's going to take a while to get back. So that's when I, I uh, put in my, uh, it's going to call screening. I put in my application for SEAL Team 6. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but those classes are so backed up that I had to do another deployment overseas with SEAL Team 4 in 2003, which I thought was great because we were on a, on a ship in the Mediterranean, and our plan was to go in with the Marine Corps for the invasion of Iraq through Turkey. Mm. And that would have been awesome. We were excited. As a sniper, I wanted to deploy with the Marines because they're going to get in the fight, and they're going to need sniper support. It's going to be a great way to invade a country, which was totally mind-boggling to me. There was a, a, a problem with, with – um, with the Turks, they didn't, politically didn't want us to go through there, whatever. And then we had a, some sort of a rising up in, in Monrovia, Liberia, where the embassy was getting surrounded. There was a civil war going on. So they actually turned us and the Marines around, and we had to go swim into Liberia while the invasion was going on in Iraq to help secure the embassy there. So that was really weird. We didn't see much action then. And then when that one ended, I went over to a selection course, green team for SEAL Team 6, and then I finally got over to Afghanistan in 2004. For, uh, for 2005, 2005, sorry. Five. So in green, for going through green team, did you have, uh, a, was it difficult for you or is it, you know, I know obviously yeah. it was. It's a, that's a difficult course. The, the attrition rate's 50% and it's all Navy SEALs going through it, which is impressive. These are SEALs with at least five years experience and 50% of them don't make it through selection. And it's just because it's a, it's a mindset mentality. It's not, a, it, it is physical, but it's not physical like like buds. It's um, like a 12 to 14 mile run at a seven minute pace every day type stuff. And then you go through the kill house, CQB, all that stuff. Really difficult, high altitude, high opening jumps. A lot of um, a lot of mental games where even if you don't screw an evolution up, they hammer you for screwing an evolution up to see how you handle making a mistake that you didn't make. You know, even though everyone knows you didn't make it, they beat you for it. And the lesson there is, can you get over it? Like, we know you didn't screw up, but we punished you. Can you get over it? And that's a lesson. Even a lesson is good for life. What, whatever it is, get over it. Yeah, right. For sure. I, I, that kind of segues into, I, I wanted to ask about that. And also is lessons for life in general. So all this time, the 16 years you spent on the teams, you, you take a lot of those lessons and talk about them in, in your public speaking. The main things that you have distilled down, can you give us a few of the main ideas that you think people that aren't team guys that just are trying to be better at life, um, what they can get from your experience. Yeah, um, a, what, a big one is effective communication. Uh, if you're leading a team, make sure your people, for some reason people get on power trips and they love that stupid saying, uh, you just a need to know basis and you don't need to know. That's nonsense. Make sure your people know exactly what they're doing and, and if they know what they're doing and why they're doing it, they'll be better. And the key to effective communication is when you're done saying what you're saying, stop saying it. There's no reason to have a 40-minute a meeting when we can have a, a two-minute meeting and let them go. If there's nothing to do, let them go home. Take care of your family, stuff like that. Um, um, be nice. If you're a leader, there's nothing wrong with saying please and thank you for normal work. Not all the time, but occasionally, because if morale is high, the team works hard. Um, I, I had a, a boss that would, uh, instead of yelling at me, because if you yell at someone, their natural reaction, especially alpha males, is to fight back. But I had a boss that would say, man, you're just better than that and leave. It's like, oh, my God, I'll never do that again to you. Uh, effective communication, don't over plan, but make sure you're prepared. Because like I was saying at the beginning, as, as soon as you over plan, the worst thing imaginable could happen that comes out of nowhere. Um, the realization that um, is everyone's had their first day somewhere. 
whether you're the, the CEO of a company or the guy that went into Bin Laden's bedroom, we've all been there the first day and we've all been nervous. But just keep in mind, slow down, take a deep breath. You're going to get used to it no, no matter where you are. And 90% of the stuff you worry about never happens anyway. And if you're worrying isn't going to affect it regardless, you're wasting energy. Stop worrying about it. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, just little things like that. And, and keep it simple. Um, we, we, we were a good example of keep it simple. As, like down to the lowest degree possible. We had a we were having a trouble when 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 assault teams come through different angles of houses. Eventually, we're going to turn onto each other somewhere, and we're trying to figure out the best way to not shoot each other because, um, you know, bullets flying, everyone's high on adrenaline. So we're like, now do we put a chem light under the door? Do we knock on the door? Do we yell blue blue blue? That's going to give you away. You might as well say here we are. We decided the easiest way to do it is we had a okay new rule, guys. Don't shoot the guy who looks like you. Hmm. Seems simple. Yeah. So keep keep it simple. If you want to be fast, slow down. Slow is smooth. Smooth is fast. Yeah. All all very good advice. Um, now I read that you had done uh, Rob. You'd done over four hundred ops. Is that correct? Yeah, over four hundred. Mm-hmm. And I also read. Um, well, I read your book as well, but I read that uh, you believed when you were going for the Osama bin Laden raid that that you weren't going to come back. That this was. Uh, that you thought this may be, or that it was potentially your last mission. Yes, we we were all aware that it was a one-way mission. Why, why do you say that? Because you were worried about uh, vests and stuff? No, we, we, we're we um, infiltrating into a sovereign nation, one of our allies. And we don't know if this technology works, and we don't know how good their, their uh, anti-air defenses are. And if they shot us down, we can't even be mad at them because th- that's what they should do. Uh, we don't know if we're going to run out of fuel on target because we don't have forward operating bases on the way in where we can refuel. It's a, it's a one in, one out. Um, and if we run out of fuel, we're going to be stuck on the ground. God forbid fighting the police because we don't want to fight the police. We're not at war with them. You know, um, if we're going to get in a gunfight as soon as we land, which we did. And if anyone's going to blow himself up, it's Bin Laden and kill everyone inside the house. So we 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 were pretty sure we weren't coming. There's a very high probability we're not coming home. Yeah. Was that the scariest mission? That you, that you oh, had? no. No, that, that wasn't scary because we had accepted death. And when, once you accept that, it's more of a it's, – it, it's an acceptance. And there's no reason to be afraid. We're all going in together. And this is what we came to do. Um, even, even if we had we – and we did have the opportunity to pull out but you know, it's almost like that Braveheart talk. Like, it, it, okay, if we pulled out now and we lived to be 85 years old, on our deathbeds, would we take every day back from that day to here for that one night? And the answer is yes. This is what we came here to do. And, and we were actually, even though I had a guy uh, pull me aside and, and he said, look, don't get me wrong. I'm going. 100% going. I just need to say it out loud so I can hear it. If we know we're going to die, why are we going? And we had that conversation, and we decided we're not going after Osama bin Laden for the reward, which we're not getting. We're not going for the fame, and we're not going for the bravado. We're going after Osama bin Laden for the single mom who dropped her kids off at elementary school on a Tuesday morning. And then 45 minutes later, she jumped to her death out of a skyscraper because for some reason we'll never know. That's a better alternative than whatever hell is going on inside the building at 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit. And her last gesture of human decency was holding her skirt down so no one could see up it as she murdered herself. You know, we're going for 
the, the, the Americans that fought Al-Qaeda, the first Americans to fight Al-Qaeda on Flight 93, when they took a vote to fight Al-Qaeda and they saved the, the, the capital, you know, they're not supposed to be in the fight. We're supposed to be in the fight. And that's why we're going. So we were pumped up. There wasn't, there wasn't a lot of fear in that one. It sounds, it's uh, certainly, I can totally get listening to that, how you would get pumped up and, and it would certainly be worth it. Um, what was the scariest mission? If that one wasn't um, the one where you're like. The, the, scary, the scariest mission is, um, again, one of those missions where it, it never goes as planned. We decided that there were, there were some, some compounds right on the other side of Pakistan where Al Qaeda was housed up and they knew they were safe there. But we knew that if we got close enough and, and got them to shoot at us, we could, we could engage inside of Pakistan because of rules engagement, we can go a certain amount of, uh, 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 a couple, 10 clicks inside of Pakistan. So our plan was to go up there at night, have the sun come up, let them see us. They can shoot at us and then we'll bomb them. But as we're up there, we have a little bit of high ground. They saw us and they started coming up with trucks of dudes. And, and we're looking at it. It's, it's noon. And it's like, okay, this is, this is bad. Now, we can keep the high ground, but we don't have any planes. Or we can try to beat it and go on down to the blind side of this mountain and, and run out. And um, we, we decided that. And there's only a few of us. There was like um, six Americans and maybe 20 Afghans. So we're, we're going down the hill. We kind of link up, and um, they ambushed us. They got us on three shots. I actually had one of my interpreters say, um, didn't speak English. I'm sorry, one of my, uh, not my interpreter, but he was trying to talk to my interpreter, but he just looked up and said, bad guys, bad guys. And then all hell broke loose. We got surrounded on three sides. And um, it, it was actually, I, I had a, a backpack on. We used to carry our gear in what's called lines of gear. So you have your first line, your second line, your third line. And your, your first line gear is your most important stuff. So it's it's closest to your body. It's on your belt. It's in your pockets. So that's like a knife and um, Copenhagen, like the shit you need. And then the, the second line is second most important. So your, your ammo grenades and, and some water. Third line is your least important gear, extra socks, foot powder, sleeping bag, stuff like that. The reason I'd, I'd been told so far, never heard of anyone doing it, is in case you're running, you can take off your gear in order of lines. So you dump your backpack. And anyway, I was about a hundred yards away from my, um, my radio guy, Tony, and he'd never been in a, he never called real air support in a gunfight. So I need to get next to him so I can coordinate it. So I dropped my backpack and I ran over to Tony and I laid down, I'm kind of pointing out, here's where I want the bombs. And he said, well, we don't have any aircraft. So we had to lay there and I'm talking about getting, getting lower than the lowest rock you can, as you, you can hear just stuff zipping past you, uh, tracers, air burst, like so close that you can, um, you look down to see if your legs are still there. So we're kind of laying there. Um, it, it got so bad. It wasn't even scary getting shot at. It was scary that these dudes were so close. Uh, I could hear them yelling, Allahu Akbar, like God is great. Like these guys are serious and it's not going to be good when they catch up to us. And there's no worse feeling than having when someone shoot a gun at you and you know your bullets can't reach them. So you're just laying there, whatever. This went on for an hour. And it, like it's scary in the daylight, seeing dudes in, in, in brown uniforms running this way, running that way. And we know what they're trying to do. And finally, uh, um, so my backpack's way over there. And Tony yelled at me. He goes, okay, I got one. I got a jet. I was like, awesome. He hit him where I told you. And he goes, well, the bad news is my battery's just died. And Because we've been, you know, we've been overnight. And so I'm not a big believer in micromanaging. But I looked at Tony and I said, change the batteries, Tony. And he said, I'm not carrying the spares. Remember, you are. 
Yeah. So I'm like, all right, don't tell my mom I did this. I got to get the battery. So I had to stand up and run a hundred yards, you know, sun's above us, Allahu Akbar. I get over there. There's bullet holes in the backpack. I pick them up, run back. I chuck them to Tony. Tony changes them out. We're getting ready to bomb. And here, here's why I love pilots. We're on the air and uh, his call sign was dude one, two. And he's uh, like a 27 year old badass from the air force Academy. And he knew that us calling in under this gunfire, there's a lot of adrenaline going on. He doesn't want to go through the process. So to calm us down, he said, uh, just talk to me like I'm a man. And I responded with, I see why women find you attractive. <laughs> and so that, but that was the scary part because it wasn't supposed to happen. Then it happened. Now you're, it's, I mean, it's, you're to the point wondering, okay, I'm going to get hit in the head now. And, and what does that feel like? And how long does it take for me to get to Valhalla? Like what, what happens after that? But, then you finish, and then it's like, that wasn't so bad. <laughs> I thought we were going to hear about the batteries having holes in them from bullets. <laughs> no, no, they, the, the, the backpack had holes. They missed the batteries. Imagine that. That would have been some shit. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm running. I'm on my own at that point. You're good, Tony. <laughs> um, did any time this, you know, it, so my friend, uh, Sean Rosario, who's a gold squadron guy. Oh, yeah, he's awesome. He's a great, great guy, good friend. And uh, so we're he told me about his first mission into Iraq and he was landing. The helicopter was uh, going to land on site, but they got uh, like a, an ass load of uh, machine gun fire, incoming machine gun fire. And it was going through the helicopter. And obviously there's nothing you can do when nothing. you're in a helicopter. It's almost like, you know, you're, you're, you're in God's hands here. And so his gunner got shot in the head um, on the way down and bullets are going through everywhere and they're trying to help the gunner and keep him alive. And he lands, and then the, the story goes that ended up being a good op, but that was his first, you know, experience. The first, first one. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, first that's experience. And uh, and then uh, when it was all over, I, he told me the story. He's like, when it was all over, you know, I was, I was so thankful I made it because there were so many bullet holes in the in the helicopter, like thousands of bullet holes. And uh, and I was like, so for me, thinking about me. I'd be like, well, that was such a close call. I'm never going to do that again. <laughs> um, no, that and that's true because it, it's normally the opposite. You go in thinking that's going to happen, and then it doesn't for 20 right. missions, and 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 then it does happen, and then you kind of that's how you get experience. As, as shitty as it sounds, like most people don't have that first experience. Like my first experience when I went out with some of my guys, my you know my bosses, being afraid because of what I've seen on the news, but then looking at them and seeing how they handled it and how cool they were. Um, I was just, I just started thinking, I want to be cool like that guy. And what I later learned as a, as a, as a team leader was, um, okay. Panic is contagious. If, if you panic, everyone around you will panic, but what else is contagious as a leader is calm. It doesn't matter what I'm feeling. Cause you can't see that. If I portray calm to you, you will be calm. So just be calm. And, and, uh, I, that, that's what gave me my experience. But yeah, I mean, I didn't have a guy get shot in the head on my first mission though. Yeah, yeah. Mm. You, uh, you, um, you guys have a big advantage too. Generally, that's an unusual mission, right? Um, you have this incredible training. You have better equipment. You're usually going in at night, right? When they're not expecting you, going in the middle of the day at noon has got to be like a, a, almost a one-off, right? Oh yeah. That, I mean, we, I, we by far did not have the most dangerous jobs in the military. It's the guys that are driving the roads in in uh, Fallujah, the, the 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 soldiers walking through minefields. In Afghanistan, the Marines on the ground, you know, they have a uh, the door-to-door -door fighting in Ramadi. They, they have a much more dangerous mission than we did. And we got to fight on our terms. 
Yeah. Um, we could, we, I mean, it's not like we could turn missions down, but we kind of could sometimes when they didn't make sense. A lot of these guys are just going because they're going. I was talking to some Marines in Fallujah and I was asking them, well, why are you yelling? Why don't you just get on your radio? And they're like, we don't have radios. Huh. So, I mean, there's a guy and fighting at night the way we did with the top of the line gear lasers and night vision. Yeah, we had a definite advantage. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I will ask you one thing about the uh, uh, about the Ben Laden stuff. One more thing, and we're moving sure. past that. Um, when you actually entered the room and and shot him, and you knew you had got him that he was dead, what was that? What was the feeling like? You know, was it one of relief, happiness? Well, and initially. I, oh, I went in his room because the guy in front of me went straight as a, a an act of bravery to tr try to absorb a suicide blast so the guy behind him could shoot. And so because he went this way, I went that way. And when I saw Bin Laden standing up, I recognized his nose. You know, his beard was shorter than I thought. He was taller and skinny. But I recognized his nose, assumed he's a suicide bomber by the way he was moving. So I shot him. He went down. And he had his hands on his wife Amal's shoulders. So I, I moved her. Here's I mean, what happened quickly. I moved her to the bed. And then his two-year-old son was – there and as a father i my initial reaction was well this poor kid's got nothing to do with this and so i picked him up i, I remember thinking is this the best thing i've ever done or the worst thing i've ever done and it sort of sunk in and i'm standing there other navy seals are coming in the room now they're doing our, our sensitive side exploitation and i'm just standing there i'm kind of frozen and a guy came up to me one of my guys and said um are you good you okay and i said no um, what do we do now and he said, now we find the computers. We do this every night, hundreds of times. And I said, yeah, you're right. I'm back. Holy shit. And he said, yeah, you just killed Osama bin Laden. Your life just changed. Let's get to work. Yeah. So that was, it was, a, it, you know, it, it takes a while. Yeah, I'm sure. Did you, when you, obviously when this, when this happened, some unusual things happened. Uh, Obama came out uh, and said, SEAL Team 6 killed, uh, killed Osama bin Laden. Uh, Obama said it. Sorry. Yeah. Biden, Biden, Biden said it. Those are not the same guys. Those are not yeah. the same guys. Well, don't believe the conspiracy <laughs> theories. Yeah. Yeah. No, Obama came out and, and said that SEAL Team 6 killed uh, Osama bin Laden. Very, very unusual, right? Something like that generally doesn't happen. Well, I think Joe Biden said it. Oh, did Joe uh, Biden say it? I believe so. They confirmed it. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think that was as a big of a deal as... Uh, a lot of people say, because it, for me, I didn't have a problem with letting the bad guys know that we have a group of people that when we find you, we will come get you wherever we are, wherever they are. Yeah. So that didn't bother me. Um, some guys weren't comfortable with it because it puts SEAL Team 6 on the map. But, you know, we uh, a year, I think, uh, two years, no, one year, whatever, a couple years prior, you know, we rescued Captain Richard Phillips. And, and that they announced SEAL Team 6 on that one, too. Yes. So they kind of knew where we were. They've been, you know, guys have written books before. I mean, believe it or not, I'm not the first guy to write a book. Yes. Um, I did get mine approved, though, just to put that out. Not a lot of guys did. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, people knew about it. But, but, but again, I, I get it because as secretive as you try to be, you do a quick Google search. You can find out where it is. And, and I understand guys getting concerned because, they, I mean, a lot of guys are very serious about, about operational security. So it, it did change. I mean, we were surprised to see it all over the Internet as soon as we got back to the base. Did, did that cause you to worry about your personal safety whenever you were going to be back? It did. It really did at first. And then my name started to get out very quickly around the Virginia Beach, San Diego, Washington, D.C., New York area. And I didn't know how to handle that. And that was weird. And then it, it came out further and further. So it got to a point where I, was, I, was, I wasn't afraid anymore, but I definitely needed to, to keep it in consideration. And the preparation is, is, still, at, is still very high. Did you, um, did you tell your... Uh your friends and your folks and stuff like 
I guess the two two parts. Did you tell them initially, hey, I'm on SEAL Team Six, or did you? And then did you uh, tell them when this all happened? Like, did you give them some heads up? No, I uh, I stuck with the with the party line of Naval Special Warfare Development Group, and we uh, we test and evaluate and develop tactics and weapons and stuff like that. Um, my, my dad was one of those guys that always assumed I was everywhere. Like I was in SEAL training. There's a life magazine out about drown proofing. And he's like, yeah, that's definitely you on the you know fourth from the left in this picture. I'm like, dad, that, not even my class. That's not me. But he always kind of knew. But I, then on, um, uh, when we rescued Captain Phillips, it was on my birthday. We, we were leaving Virginia beach on good Friday, April 10th, 2009. And I called my dad, not telling him anything. And he just assumed hey, you're going to get that guy. I'm like, dad, shut, shut up. <laughs> and uh, and then uh, I, I I didn't tell anybody about the Bin Laden right before we left, but I did call my dad. Uh, he didn't even know we were in Afghanistan, didn't know anything about Bin Laden. And I just kind of thanked him for, you know, growing up and teaching me how to be a man, teaching me how to shoot free throws and how to hunt and all that stuff. And he didn't know what the hell was going on. And uh, but he, uh, he there was one thing he would always do. I'd call him before a lot of missions and he would always say, uh, I wish I was going with you. And I'd say, yeah, dad, I do, too. And before the Bin Laden raid, I called him and, and I said, "I said, hey, I got I to gotta go to work. And he said, I wish I was going with you. And I said, Dad, don't worry about it. We, uh, I'm with some really good guys right now. And so he knew something. And he actually was in a parking lot at a Walmart in Butte, Montana. And he said he stumbled in there. And his, the two words he loves to mispronounce are catatonic and apoplectic. And uh, he just said that's what he was. And, and uh, he ran into his sister, who is a, a, um, a intensive care nurse. And she's like, didn't know what was going on with him and he knew something was up, but we got back and he was sitting at home and he saw that, you know, tonight I can report to the American people and to the world, the United States conducted an operation that killed Osama bin Laden, the leader of Al Qaeda. And my dad's like, now you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> but I didn't tell him about that. No one knew about it before we left. Um, so transitioning out, how long did you stay in after the, the bin Laden raid? How much longer? I stayed in my uh, end of obligated, um, Active obligated service, what do they call EAOS, was that next January. So we killed Bin Laden in 2011. My end of service was 2012, January. So I was going to get out then. I, I made peace with the Navy, and then uh, in August of uh, in August of that year, we lost so many guys on Extortion 17. We lost 31 Americans to include the dog, and we lost so much combat experience from Gold Squadron that we needed to split up people to different squadrons just to help regain. So I extended until August, did one more deployment with a different squadron, with Silver Squadron, went to Afghanistan one more time, same gun, and then finished up. And I had terminal leave from about March of 2012 to August, and then I got out in August 2012. Did you ever consider staying on and finishing 20 years? Um, I considered it, uh, but the, the thing is, like, seeing extortion get hit and losing so many people, yeah. Um, I had daughters I want to see get married. There'd been so many close calls. I was on, a, you know, I was on the lone survivor mission. I was on Phillips and Bin Laden. And it's like, it's just, it's just time. I stopped getting adrenaline in gunfights and complacency will get you killed. Boredom will get you killed. And a, a bullet only needs to be right once. And it was just, it was time. I, I can, like, I was offered a job to go to Arizona and teach skydiving for the rest of my career. But it was, it, for me, it was just time. Yeah. Yeah, so most people, well, the stories I hear, quite a few of them, transitioning is difficult. It is. When you, yeah, when, you, when you're living a life where even a gunfight isn't giving you any adrenaline. True. So coming back and going grocery shopping and, you know, being Mr. Mom or whatever, it can be very difficult. Did you, uh, did you have that same kind of I, I, ha I had that difficulty, too, because I didn't know what I was going to do. And a lot, of, a lot of guys, men and women, don't know what they're going to do. Um, 
but I was given, I had a bunch of leave. I had, I had accrued a bunch of leave called terminal leave where I would get paid until I got out. And I realized from talking to some, some uh, contacts in DC and, and uh, San Francisco and, and New York, that there are certain skill sets special operators have. Um, team building, leading, being led, effective communication. Most importantly, how to solve, solve a problem, how to manage your time and stress. And I actually started a foundation. We started it off, uh, Your Grateful Nation, but now it's called Special Operators Transition Foundation to help special op operators transition. We find the industry, find the city they want to live in. And a lot of employers, a lot of CEOs, COOs, they're not happy with some product coming out of the colleges. And they'll take these guys and actually teach them the job. And I have yet to have anyone say this is have anyone not say this is the best employee I've ever had. So it is it is challenging, but once you realize what you're capable of and, and actually what you're worth, like the only the only bad news I have for a lot of guys getting into the private sector is you are gonna learn what your fair share in taxes is. That's about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is not, that's never fun, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, at what point, uh, Rob, did you decide to write the book? Like, what was the impetus of deciding to write the book? Well, my, my dad, again, being the ultimate fan, had always told me from as soon as I got to Buzz Class 2018 in, in uh, 1996, he said, keep a journal. Always keep a journal. If it's a page a, a week, just how you're feeling, what you're doing, because eventually you're going to write a book. And I remember my reaction was, Dad, why would anyone ever want to read my book? But um, I kept the journal, and then um, my first job out of the Navy was to work in Washington, D.C. on Capitol Hill, and I got to meet a lot of both sides of the aisle, congressmen and women, and um, I was asked to go up to the 9-11 memorial to uh, one of the uh, congressmen, Carolyn Maloney from New York, asked if I would donate anonymously my the shirt that I wore on the Bin Laden raid, and I said, sure, I want it to be anonymous, though. I don't want my name attached to it. So we went up there, gave it to the curator, and at the time, I didn't know this, there was about 35 people in a, in a small uh, classroom, like a we're in like elevated seats like in a, in, a, in a college, and they were all people who lost loved ones uh, in the towers. And so with the 9-11 Memorial Museum in New York, they've all lost loved ones, and they asked me if I would tell them the story. So for the first time in public, I told them the story, and seeing their reactions, um, you know, face in hands, crying, uh, because that was the most horrific day you can imagine on anyone, you know, talking to your husband on the phone, all of a sudden it clicks and the tower falls. And they said to me, putting a real name with a real face, that there will never be closure, but this helps with the healing process. And they all agreed. We all had a great time. And then I thought if, if, if I can help with 35 people, I can probably help with 100,000. And if me putting myself at risk, um, I've put myself at risk before. This is what I came to do. And I, I'll do it again. So I came up with a script and um, I actually submitted it to the Pentagon for approval, which they did. And then it was, I mean, what, if, if you submit your story to the Pentagon and it's approved, you're not risking anyone, not giving away tactics. I think America and the Western world should know it for historical value. So that it was, it was believe me, it was a long process to leave the Navy, a very long process to try to find a job and then a longer process to write a book. But I, I think it was worth it. Um, you, uh, when, when you wrote the book, you must have known you were going to get some negative reactions from from the guys from the squadron and stuff, because um, it goes against some. Some of them would say against. They would, yeah, of course they do. Well, and and, and again, and 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 I, I have nothing but love, and I'm not going to badmouth anyone, and that's fine. I, I get how they, I get how they are. I was part of the Brotherhood for a long, long time. But one of the things I say about, especially Navy SEALs, is if you took ten random Navy SEALs, and and dumped a dump truck full of cash in all of their driveways five of them would complain that their driveway is blocked 
<laughs> we got a few that's, people. That's that's with love, by the way. <laughs> I, I I agree. So, so did it come into? Did you think was that part of the decision making process? Were you like, look, I'm going to do this thing. There are going to be people that are mad at me, and it is what it is. No, that that had nothing to do with the book. Um, I, no, I already I already felt negativity the the day we got back from the Bin Laden raid. Um, and I'm not a victim. I'll never claim to be a victim. But every Navy SEAL that found out Bin Laden was dead, the first thing they asked the other Navy SEAL was who got him. And they would tell him me. And then that guy would go to the – and the bartender would ask him, who got him? Well, don't tell anyone. But – and so we're just kind of spread around, especially in that tight community like Virginia Beach. If they just assume I'm outside bragging about it. And we would go to lunch at Clutch, and a, a shot of tequila would show up anonymously to me. And the bartender would say – uh, it's anonymous, but you know what this is for. And it just it put me in an awkward spot. So, yeah, I mean, guys got pissed off. And I would like I was pissed after the Bin Laden raid. I was um, I was on um, I was in Afghanistan on a deployment and I watched uh, squadron jump into uh, into Africa to rescue Jessica Buchanan. And we watched it on the feed and they got it. I remember thinking, this is some bullshit. Why aren't we doing it? I'm like, oh, OK, I get it. I get it now. I get the jealousy. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it sucks, and I, I, I wish it wasn't there. But the, the hard truth is, a lot, a lot of people want to see successful people fail. Yeah, that's, oh, the, yeah, that's, that's the truth. That's the truth worldwide. And, uh, certainly, I could see that in the teams. You got the ultimate prize, and other people wanted that, and, and you got it. And I, I mean, I get it too. If like, if, I mean, guys were close. If I was that close, I mean, at the time it didn't matter. But getting back, being like, man, I, I would have shot him. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's even been, been uh, you know, stories like, well, people say they shop in London. I'm like, hey, a lot of guys might have shop in London. I'm just saying I killed them. Yeah. <laughs> I would imagine. I would imagine. I, everybody probably yeah, I, 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 if I walked in the room five minutes later, I still would have shot him. Yeah, of course. I'm sure. I'm sure. So, um, yeah, it's funny because we were when I met when I met you uh, at the at the Bonefrog Open. We were with yeah. one of your teammates, a very good friend of mine, uh, and, you know. See, you've met Chris many yeah, times. Yeah, he's a friend of yours too. So Chris Freyricks is. Uh, oh, he's an awesome guy. Awesome guy. Yeah, awesome guy. And he had such good good things to say about you as a leader and you know, mentor and stuff like that. But when I told him you were going to be there, it was kind of he didn't almost like he didn't know how to feel. Like he wanted to be all excited and give you a hug and like go shoot the shit. And another part of him was kind of like, oh, you know, that's a weird. It was, it was a weird for me to see that knowing what he thinks of you. It's it was weird it's. To see. It's very weird, and and um, I had I texted him maybe a couple of years after I left, and and uh, it was something along the lines of, "Look, I'm just I'm happy I still have your number. Someone gave it to me. I, I, I'm glad to hear you're doing well, and I get it if you can't talk to me." And he responded something like, "Thanks, boss," and that was it. And that's fine. I mean, if they want to do that, that's cool. But um, I, I you know one of my first bosses when I got to, to Red Squadron at SEAL Team Six, he said, um, "When we get out of this job, we could run the world, and each of us make a million dollars." a year if we just stopped messing with each other, if we just got out of each other's way, if we just worked together. And that's the case now. And I mean, you know, you, you can get a lot further with positivity and teamwork than you can with negativity. That's, and that's whatever. I don't waste a lot of time thinking about the negativity. If they feel that way, fine. And if they, if, if someone's hated on me for years and they ask me for help, I'm going to help. Them. That's just, that's just my nature. And um, I'm not going to let negativity weigh me down. That's good. Yeah. That's, that's, the, that's fucking absolutely the way to be. Uh, otherwise what doesn't make any sense to think any, anything different. I mean, do you, do you miss those guys? The guys? Oh yeah. I miss all of them. Every single one of them. And I miss the, uh, 
the camaraderie. I, I missed the I missed the skydive trips. We knock out seven jumps a day. They go to the Trident in Tucson, hang out with Nelson Miller, former SEAL who owns a joint, and drink beer, and then wake up the next day and skydive. Like that's the that's what keeps guys in. It it certainly isn't the paycheck. <laughs> right. No. Yeah. For sure. Anything is there anything when you think back uh, to your time in the teams that you regret or would do differently if you did it again? Not really. I mean, I, I don't like to have a lot of regrets. Uh, the one regret that I have is after the Bin Laden raid, I went went over to my my one of my good friends, Robert Reeves, who was at Gold Squadron, and uh, we, you know we were just talking about a lot of the, a lot of the stuff we're talking about now, the negativity because it had been a couple months and bullshit. And he asked me if um if I wanted to have um a glass of wine with him. And I like to drink And For some reason I said, no, I'm not drinking this week. I don't know why. And, and um, he had a, he poured himself a glass of wine and he said, you know, one of these days, a lot of us are going to die on one of those helicopters. And he was on extortion one seven. And that, that's my regret. I wish I would have had the glass of wine. With him. Yeah. yeah. I've heard very good things about, about, him. Oh, well, he was the, I mean, every guy, like every guy on that helicopter was the best guy we've ever met. It's just, it was just, it's crazy. How's that, that works out. It sucks. Yeah. Um, so you said uh, you're not a conspiracy theory guy. What do you think about all this crazy conspiracy theories? I mean, you think they're just lunatic people out there coming up because yeah. they're bored or what? Well, the the recent one with the body double that we killed Bin Laden's body double or whatever, and we buried him at sea because it wasn't him, and we found out about the DNA test on the flight out, and then somehow Hillary Clinton sold missiles through Benghazi to shoot down SEAL Team 6. It's, it's like, I mean... That's an insult to the guys that died because every guy on the Bin Laden raids alive and every guy on Extortion 17, they weren't on there, but they obviously could have done it. But just for someone to spin that up because they hate Barack Obama so much is an insult to the, the Gold Star families, that's, the kids that still miss their dads in Virginia Beach. You know, It's just it's, it's stupid. And, and the only reason they raise it up is because they hate Barack Obama. They can't accept the fact that he, he said yes. And then like the other conspiracy theories, like the moon landing, it makes me happy every time Buzz Aldrin punches someone in the face. You ever <laughs> seen those videos? <laughs> a bunch of videos of him hitting reporters. I love that. But yeah, I mean, the conspiracy, I mean, having been on some of these missions, it the most simple, reasonable answer is what happened. There's, there's not a, there's, you know, I mean, is there an Illuminati? I don't know. I mean, I've heard of places like the, the Bohemian Grove where people go and dance around fires, but I don't know. If I'm not there, I can't speculate. <laughs> so uh going back to we're, we're we're coming to the end but going back to current events i heard you were on a delta flight and you got uh banned you're very bad that is flight. yep that is true um and i like talking about that because i was just making a point because they're making everyone more masks and you you have to wear a mask unless you're eating or drinking so we're sitting there everyone's wearing their mask and they brought me chips and a water and so i and she's still serving people. So I, I took my mask off and I had a drink and I took a selfie just realizing how the irony. Now, the where I ran into an issue was I put it on Twitter and I put the um, I'm not a pussy on it. And that's a that's a joke. But there happened to be a guy in a USMC hat behind me that I didn't see. I didn't notice. So obviously it comes out first that I'm calling the Marines pussies or whatever. And um, and then there are people saying, well, you don't wear masks on flight. I had I had six masks on me. Like, it's not like I wasn't wearing a mask. I was making a, a point and then tweeted it. And I like to, to to elbow people on Twitter. I'm just joking. But I tweeted and we took off. And so I had about two hours for the shit storm to brew. Uh, news outlets picked it up. Um, uh, New York Post called Delta. What are you going to do about this? And uh, no one said anything on the flight. Um, 
the flight attendants didn't say anything at all. No one said anything at the, at the gates, walking out of the airport in the car until I, I found out through text that something happened. And then I had a flight to L.A. the day after from, from New York to L.A. And Delta called me and said, yeah, you can't fly your band. And I'm like, are, are you out of your mind? Oh, my God. Yeah. So, I mean, they made a big deal out of it. And I, you know, I could have handled it way better than they did, but I was just surprised. But yeah, I mean, that, that did happen. It's just like, you know, it's like, all right, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> bad, bad joke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, good, Delta is right. So the, the mask thing in general, Rob, what do you think? I mean, I, I avoid going places now because of the mask. Cause I, I just don't like the whole, it, I don't know. I don't know the best way to put it other than it kind of, it aggravates me. Oh, there you are. <laughs> yeah, that's me. That's me being being cute. Um, no, I mean it aggravates me too. But I, I even said after, like, if it makes people comfortable uh, that I'm wearing a mask, um, I'll wear it just because I'm not here to make you uncomfortable. I don't have a problem with that. It's just the the ironic. Okay, as long as you're eating, like I, I'm I'm eating and drinking the whole flight, so I, just, I guess I leave it off, and we're all safe from from my disease. And if I stop eating, I put it back on. Yeah, I mean it's you know I I don't again same with the election. Like I don't think my voice is going to stop anything, but it's, it is what it is. I mean, you know, it, it surprised me how quick people were through fear to give up their liberties. Oh, yeah. And, and that's, and that's an overreach by the government. And they're going to, once they get the power, they're not going to give it back. And and we keep voting them in regardless of how. So that's what, uh, that's the, that's the scary part of course, is that, you know, but let's say Biden uh, ends up, you know, making this official, right. Which is obviously a very good likelihood. I know yep. uh, the, the Trump team is busy working on uh on trying to, you know, bring to light votes and everything else. But if it, it happens, you know, there's a, there's a chance that he's going to force uh, another shutdown, another lockdown. And uh, because it's happened before, it's going to be much easier to do if he wanted to do it again. Well, I mean, the scary thing is, too, you got to figure out how it's affecting the kids. You got a, you got a disease with a 99% survival rate, yet you're not letting kids go to school. You're forcing that on the parents. Um, that they that it affects them and all the stuff, and then, I mean, teachers get used to not going to work but still getting paid. This is this the the the, the long term problems here. Um, I see a major problem with it. I mean, it's it's again, I'm not an expert. I know COVID's a horrible disease. I, I'm not going to say it's whatever, but but um, I'm just surprised at how quick it is. They will say shut down your business, stay home. That people will just do it. That's that's a violation of a lot of a lot of your uh, a lot of your rights as an American. Yeah. I, I love the one of the things that I thought was very true uh, that the, the President Trump said is that the the cure can't be bigger than the problem itself, right? And uh, that's that's what we're seeing. You know that, that this could become, if it especially if there's another lockdown, that, that it could become much much worse than the actual issue. Well, it could be too, and and you got to figure. Well, we're not doing anything until we have a cure. We still don't have a cure for the flu. Yeah, and we're all right. I mean. Yeah. Yep. I don't know. Again, I'm, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but, uh, you know, eventually some of us are going to need to pay the mortgage to keep the lights on. Yes. Yes. Well, Robert, you kept, uh, we kept you a long time. Thank you for all the time. This was a lot of fun. We loved having you on. Where can, uh, where can people find you? They want to write to you. What can, where, how do they donate to the uh, foundation? Uh, go to robertjoneal.com. And that's where you can find all the stuff about my speaking about special operators, transition foundation, uh, basically everything they need to find out about me, maybe a picture without a mask on a plane. I don't know. Um, and then uh, my handles are at Mikuya, M-C-H-O-O-Y-A-H. And that's a funny story because that's that's pronounced Mikuya. When I was getting out of the Navy, one of my buddies from Red Team said, hey, there's this thing called Twitter. You got to make up a fake handle and you can just mess with people. And it's called trolling. And I was like, that's great. We we say Huya in the Navy. I'm O'Neill, uh, Mick, Mikuya. And then uh, – 
one of the nights my name leaked as killing bin Laden's and I woke up with 15,000 followers. I'm like, I'm like super, I'm a Kuya now. So find, find me there. That's funny. Yeah, How yeah. People recognize you, Robert, on the street. It, it happens quite a bit and, and it's generally really good. It's, um, I've had actually people um, uh, stop, come into like delis and I have, I have a mask on because I do wear a mask. And they said, hey, can I get a picture? They call me Makuya. And I'm like, well, I have a mask on. They go, they say, yeah, but I recognize your hat. That's uh, so pretty funny. That is, that is funny. Uh, I've, actually, I've actually had dudes come up to me. and I've been in an elevator in Vegas. And um, uh, guy goes, Makuya, can I get a picture with you? I said, yeah, do you mind if Kid Rock takes it? And he's like, what the fuck elevator did I get on? Uh, that's, that's awesome. Any, so you had bad reactions too where people are like angry at you? Not no no, very very, and it's usually because I did something on Twitter minutes prior. But most people are really good. I'd like to, like the biggest issue I have with people is like at a bar in an airport, and they're like, "Hey, I want to do a shot with you," and someone will say, "I want to do a shot with you," and that's all of a sudden, well, you all did a shot, but I did five. Like, this is bad now. <laughs> I'm about to get on a Delta flight for crying out loud. <laughs> so that explains it, then I guess. There it goes. That's it. That's the answer. Well, Rob, thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for uh, your service, everything you did for the country. And uh, if anybody hasn't read the book yet, please go out and check out the book. I guarantee you'll enjoy it. Outstanding, guys. I really appreciate you having me. Thank you. Thank, thank you, buddy. Robert. Very cool. So that's pretty cool. Really cool. Really cool. Great, yeah. great guy. And uh, yeah, real down to earth. Real down to earth. Yeah. He, he's, uh, you know, I, uh, I had just a little bit of talking to him and his wife at the event. Yeah, I got a real good feeling that uh, that he's somebody that we would like and I'd hang out with. And like, you could see why he is a good leader because he is a good communicator, yeah. why he's a good speaker. He gets paid quite a bit of money to do public speaking because uh, he's engaging. Yeah, no, that's the thing. He's uh, definitely can control the conversation. And yeah. so I can imagine, you know, being on the field if he was probably took control regularly. So yeah, especially you can have to you have a green uh, guy on the radio that doesn't know how to call in an air sport. And then you got to bust your ass twice to get there yeah. so well i can tell you chris that is what chris said about about him that he was a great leader and that he was one of his mentors you know oh really teams. yeah he was yeah. one of the mentors you know like he told him uh thanks boss i mean he was his boss he was he was directly in charge of him so for him to say such great things that's why i brought it up you could tell he wasn't he's not super robert's not super happy that things have to be that way yeah but it's like a weird it's a weird mix because obviously Chris um, was not mean at all. He was very nice. You could tell he was happy. It was like a weird mix of wanting to like. But then see you're his still brother, trying to. Be he doesn't want to like you know upset go the rest him. of the brotherhood. But his but his wife came up to me. Uh, Rob Rob's wife came up and said that 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 it went well. That he was Chris was. I mean that um, that Rob was relieved that it wasn't uh, that it wasn't negative in any way. Yeah, yeah, had a, um, yeah. I'm sure again that's probably what from writing the book. It's probably the thing for him the most is like yeah that. The lack of the brotherhood, or, or I mean, maybe you know, I mean, maybe his feelings got hurt. He texted Chris, uh, you know, and he got back. Thanks, boss, boss, and that's yeah. it. Like he was trying to like be like, hey, we're, we're yeah. cool, let's hang out. Yeah, and he just thanks, boss. Uh, but for Chris, Chris is uh, you know, you know him. He's a quiet guy. He's a reserved yeah, he guy, and he is going to uh, do what he feels is right. Which he definitely hundred percent told me. He he said great things about him. Uh, but you know, everybody lives by different rules, right? Yeah. And. Uh, I can tell you firsthand, I loved the book. I thought uh, Rob was uh, was actually a great storyteller in the book. And uh, and also one thing he did do that was very, like he said, he got it approved by the DOD. Yeah. Uh, and it didn't give away. The big thing with the books and the thing that people, that the team does really don't like is giving away the tactics. Right. Because they learn um, by, by 
giving out the stuff that they learned, you could have an enemy use that. Oh, so you could create a playbook. Yeah. yeah, so that, like, for Call of Duty, some guys got in big, big trouble. Oh, because they... Because uh, they gave, they advised Active oh, Duty. Uh, SEAL Team 6 guys advised um, on, on you know, clearing rooms or yeah. how that character should act. And that's a lot different to me because th maybe there is a bad guy out there who could, learn, who could learn that yeah. and who could study, especially if he, if he knew that the team guy was instructing that. So anyway... Rob was uh, great. I'm hoping to have uh, uh, Representative Matt Gates on the show next week. Okay. We'll, we'll see. Uh, I don't know if you guys know. He, you pull up Matt Gates. Yeah. Many people will recognize uh, Matt. He's a representative, House representative here in Florida, but he's there at the at the Capitol in, uh, in D.C. And uh, I got to meet him uh, relatively recently at an event. Uh, seemed like a really cool guy, like our age. Um, somebody who's been in politics, wanting to be in politics, I think his whole life. But I'd be interested to. Hear what he has to say. You got a picture of him? It's in Ryan's phone. Ah, Ryan has a plot of his phone. Huh? Mm -hmm. Not that picture, Ryan. Jesus. That's him. That's not probably not the best picture. But hey, there he is. <laughs> I'd like a preview for next show. Confused? He's, yeah, he's like, huh? Huh? Good job, uh, anyway, anyway, <laughs> anyway, guys, thank you so much for being on the show or watching the show. Uh, make sure if you watch it, Tell everybody that the show is available also on Spotify, uh, iTunes as a podcast. So if you're watching right now on YouTube or on Facebook Live, uh, don't worry. You don't have to sit here and watch it. A lot I of people, it. man, a lot of people like to listen. I, as you know, I walk every morning. I listen to podcasts, and that would definitely be my preferred method if I was going if I wasn't on the show already. Well, there you go. Yeah. He's gonna listen to it again. Yep. Sorry, guys. For uh, for Eric Silky Tuba and myself. See you later. <laughs>